0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How many of you know the name? Don't blurt out who she's known for or what she's known for. But if I were to say the name Tilly Smith, Tilly Smith, how many of you guys know the the name Tilly Smith? Anyone? Tilly Smith. Interesting. I mean, I don't expect you to know the name. She was born in 1994. Um, in England and when she was 10 years old she happened to be on vacation with her parents over in Thailand and as she was on the beach in Thailand um, in 2004 she happened to be out in the water and all of a sudden the water began to recede and as the water receded she stopped and thought for a moment of a lesson that she had learned two weeks before at school about tsunamis. And she ran to her mom and said, Mom, a tsunami is on its way. And her mother and her, and her family began to go down the beach and scream to everybody, Get off the beach, get off the beach, get off the beach. There's a tsunami coming. And that actually of the Indian, 2004 Indian Ocean Earthquake, that was one of the only beaches where there were no reported deaths because a 10-year-old girl listened in her geography class. She understood the teacher. Andrew Kearney was his name. There's a lot of people that Oh, Andrew Kearney a big thank you That, oh, Tilly Smith, a big thank you. That she was bold enough to say, I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care, you know, that you think I might look silly or I might look stupid, but here's the thing. There is a tsunami coming, and if you do not get off the beach, you're gonna die. And so everybody took the warning, got their stuff, ran off the beach and sought high ground, and within just a little while... This huge tsunami wave comes in and just overtakes the beach and the the, the whole you know uh, beachside resort area and the, all the land in that area. But everybody being up high, they didn't die. I suppose Tilly could have kept her mouth shut because she was fearful that everybody would think she was silly. She could have kept her mouth shut because she would have thought that she could have thought that everybody would think of me as a fool. Because what if it didn't happen? But it did, and she saved a lot of people's lives. It's 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 kind of the same heart that has been behind this pulpit for the last year, year and a half. not just mine when Kevin teaches he does the same thing it's what you're hearing on a, with, with a lot of pastors today it's not just our church there's a lot of churches out there there's a lot of pastors that are out there and they're saying listen the water's receding it seems calm right now it seems like wow I've never seen something like this before in our nation have we ever seen anything kind of like this before not really and as we see the world, the climate, not climate change, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the political climate. I'm talking about the, 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 the world that's coming together and how things are lining up. I'm saying that the wave is going out. The water's receding. And pastors are saying this all over the place. Pulpits. Are preaching. The water is receding. There is a tsunami coming. Oh, prove to me that there's a tsunami coming. Well, I can point you back to the book of Ezekiel. You can go back to Ezekiel. You don't have to look there right now because I don't have time to go through it all. But if you were to go back into Ezekiel and, and find out that all the way back in the late, or I guess you'd call it early, somewhere around 580, 590 BC before Christ was born here we are at 2015 add another 580 years to that so 2,595 years ago got a guy by the name of Ezekiel that writes out some prophecy that lays out there and says, you know, it's going to be really, really weird in the end times. There's going to be a, a nation called Gog, led by, or Magog, led by Gog, a king. They're going to be from Rosh. There's going to be, which, which as you go back into, into uh, geography and you go back and you look and find out where Gog, Magog is, you find out that is Russia area. And it says that in the end days, they will come down towards Israel and they will ally themselves with Persia, which is modern day Iran. And Syria, Ethiopia, and the Sudan, and Libya, and Turkey will get involved in this. Turn on your news right now and find Russia, Iran, and Libya, and Turkey, and Syria is all over the news. And if we think that it's just an issue with ISIS trying to get to the United States, trying to take over that, I think you're short-sighted. I think we're short-sighted if we look down that road. You see, because remember as I shared earlier that God is omnipresent and he's omniscient, so he sees perfectly the past from the future, and the future from the past, and it's just perfect to him. And so here's the thing. As he prompted these men like Ezekiel to write, as he prompted men like Daniel to write, and you go in and he prompted people like like John to write. And you go back and you look at prophetically what the Bible laid out in what was going to happen in the end days. And I don't have time to get into this and go back and you know, talk about much of this, but you remember that when you have heads of state like Benjamin Netanyahu just a couple of years ago standing in Poland, in Auschwitz, where many Jews were exterminated because of the genocide attempt by Adolf Hitler. And there in that prison camp, you have a head of state Of Israel. By the way, when you consider Israel, Israel is a very, very, very important player in the last days. In fact, if you look at Israel, you're going to look at the temperature or the climate, the spiritual climate, the prophetic climate of what's happening. We have some very, very loved ones over in Israel right now and some of you guys are on their Facebook page and you're seeing some of the great pictures that they're sending back but Tim and Sonia uh, Romero and their kids are over there in Israel right now. Tim's just getting jacked, man. He's just all over it, man. He's just so excited. I talked to him uh, via text yesterday and, and he's just so excited about what God's doing in his life right now. So I can't wait for him to get back to hear more about it but Here's the thing, when things are happening and building up over there in the Middle East, especially around Israel, and when the players that Ezekiel chapter 39, 38 and 39 say, are going to come together in the end days, and then we incorporate Benjamin Netanyahu, the head of state of Israel, standing in Auschwitz, Poland, saying, I declare that Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled. You have a head of state quoting scripture saying Ezekiel 37 is fulfilled. That causes the antenna to go up on my ears if I had them. The point is, what comes after 37? Well, 38 and 39. What's 38 and 39? It's these very same countries that are assembling themselves in Syria right now. And if you think it's just about Syria, know this, attention will be drawn down into Israel, who just, even just over the last uh, few months, found huge, huge oil reserves in the Golan Heights. So Israel has got some of the biggest pods of oil in their land right now that they never had that they never knew was there they just have discovered it somebody wants to get their hands on that and we can we can politicize it and say oh well that's the reason that they're gonna go in it well here's the thing the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 38 39 it says I will God says I will put hooks in your jaws and draw you down into Jerusalem in other words, I'm going to draw Russia. I'm going to draw Iran. I'm going to draw Turkey. I'm going to draw these nations in Syria and, and Libya. I'm going to draw you into this land. What does that mean? Well, oftentimes when a term like that is used, it's, it just seems like the logical thing for those nations to do to them. But that's God putting a hook in their jaw and saying, Come on down. Come on down. Because here's what's going to happen in the end days. What does this have to do with 1 Corinthians? It has this. Listen. Paul, he writes... I'm not going to focus on too much of the first verses that I'm going to read right here. We we went through verses uh, 1 through 9 last week. Verse 10, he says, listen, you guys... I'm, I'm amazed at God's grace to you guys. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. But, listen, I am pleading with you in verse 10. I'm so excited about you. I'm so excited about all the things that God is doing in your life. In fact, I pray for you, he says, all the time. I thank God continually for you. Verse 4, he says, I thank God always for you guys and the grace that he he gave to you. But he says in verse 10, "But listen, now I plead with you guys by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment." So there was a division. There was a division that was starting to happen within the church. And the church began to be fragmented. And the church began to be, well, we have these people in the group. They started developing cliques within the church. In fact, he says it. He says, listen, I want you to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you guys. Here's the cliques that are happening within your church. I say this, that each one of you says, well, I'm a Paul. I'm of Paul's team. Or I'm of Apollos' team. Or I'm of Cephas' team. Cephas is, is Peter. Or then you've got the really super spiritual ones. I'm not of either and any of those. I'm of Christ's team. And, and, and here's what Paul says He goes, Is Christ divided? I mean, really, think about this. Paul likes to take things and bring things down and, 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 and make things incredibly simple. Because sometimes we just need to look at Scripture simply. Just look at it like the, the, with, the, with the faith of a child. Look at what the Word of God says in the literal sense because you've heard me say it many times, Right? When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. Right? I don't know who it was, but somebody recorded that, you know, on their phone, you know, a few months ago, and then put it to a rap. And so it's like, it's like, I don't know what was it that rap app or something like that. There was a rap app that had, you know, win the literal, win, 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 win the literal, literal, literal. You know, I'm a rapper. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not. Listen, when the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's the thing. Is Christ divided? I mean really should we have a click of Paul should we have a click of Apollo should we have a click of Cephas and then you super spiritual ones over here to have a click of Christ listen is Christ divided Pastor Chuck used to share my pastor who passed away quite a few years, a few years ago that I miss him terribly I, I can't wait to see him in heaven one day but here's the thing he used to say this when the body of Christ is divided pray tell who believes it's not the church. The church isn't one that's bleeding. It's Christ. It's his body that we're dividing. And so Paul he brings this and he says, Listen, those of you who say I'm Paul or Apollos or Cephas of Christ, is Christ really divided? He says, Was Paul crucified for you? Or or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Come on. Come on. Let's look at this simplistically. I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Christmas and Gaius lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name in order to create my own clique. It's not that Paul's saying that baptism is a bad thing. He's saying, hey, listen, I didn't baptize so that you could become part of Paul. It's not about Paul. It has nothing to do with Paul. It has everything to do with Christ. Christ is unified. Christ is unified. He is not divided. Yeah, I also, he says in verse 16, I also baptized the household of Stephanus." And the next st- statement, I, I kind of get a giggle in me because it says, besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Now, here's the thing. If you were the guy that was baptized by Paul and he didn't mention you, do you kind of go, oh, that meant a lot to you, huh? I mean, you think of Crispus and Gaius and you, you think of Stephanus. You don't remember baptizing me? I don't know, that's, my brain works that way. I'm going, oh, "You baptized me, Paul, don't you remember? I, I don't, I don't remember that. Oh yeah, and on. You know. That was hilarious to me in my head, so. (laughs) Welcome to my mind. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Christ didn't send me to baptize. I'm sent here to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is... What does gospel mean? We know that. Come on, church. Good news. It means good news. Why is it good news? What is good news about the gospel? That Christ died for us. That we don't have to die. There's good news because you first understand the bad news. Now, I know that there's a lot of churches that don't like to talk about the bad news, but the bad news is this. If you don't choose Christ, you, your choice is going to send you to hell. You're going to go to hell. That's the judgment that is going to come upon you. And here's the thing. You're going to answer for your sins. You're going to have to stand before a holy God. And as I just said here just a few minutes ago, you're going to be standing before a holy God having to answer for your own sin. And as you do that, you're going to find yourself lacking severely. And so you will not be... There will be not one person that stands before the great white throne judgment of God that is spoken of in the book of Revelation and walk away from there justified. Walk away from there going to heaven because all who stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Now I know that that might offend some people that, well, God, you know, He shouldn't be be judging people because God's good. No, that's what the Bible says. God is judging people because He is good that's like saying here's the thing why did we just have why did those two terrorists out in San Bernardino which actually was where I grew up I got a lot of friends out there that are kind of freaking out that you know this terrorist attack has happened so close to my home here's the thing that's, that's like saying well they shouldn't have gone and, 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 and stopped those guys shot them they shouldn't have judged them they shouldn't have done anything bad to those guys who, you know, that man and that woman. They should have just let them go because we're good. If we're good, we're going to let people go. We will not judge them. That's not, that's not even logical. That's just not logical. Logic states, here's the thing, you're taking people's lives, you're taking innocent people's lives, and so here's the thing, there's going to be a judgment down upon you. Now I know our society is kind of moving down this road saying, let's not, let's not hurt anybody. Let's not cause, cause judgment on anybody. Let's just be a, a society that just lets everybody live the way they want to live. The problem is, is that the people who believe that are only good with that as long as they're not affected by it. But the moment that they're affected by it, where their child is killed... Or their family member, or their husband, or their daughter, or, or, or husband or wife. It, you know, Somebody very, very close to them is killed. All of a sudden, like, they wake out of the sleep and go, Hey, wait a minute, somebody, somebody's got to stop these people from doing what they're doing before they go and do it to someone else. Wait a minute, you've just had a radical paradigm shift in your mind. You see, the simplicity is, is not, hey, let's just let everybody be everybody and let's not judge anyone. Even if they hurt people. Because that only goes as far as your freedom, you know, as, as, as far as it doesn't touch you. The problem is, is it's touching a lot of people. There are hundreds of people that have been affected thousands of people that have been affected just by the San Bernardino attack I can't believe that I'm talking about San Bernardino from my pulpit in Florida here's the thing judgment is necessary well how's this in heaven there is no sin and if God lets someone into heaven based upon their own goodness because they were kind of a good person according to the world standards. He lets them into heaven but they still have some sin in them. Well then all of a sudden sin has entered into heaven and that's, God forbid, it's not going to happen. God says that will not ever happen. Sin will not enter into heaven. And it's the reason why man was so lost and why man was in a place of desperation. We were all under the judgment of God. And it's the reason why God said, you know what, that's a bad place to be. And so here's the thing, there's no way for a man to ever become righteous on his own. But I love them so much that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my, I'm going to become a man. The person of my son Jesus Christ and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live among them. And I'm going to live perfectly and I'm going to show them the way. I'm going to warn them and I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them that the waters receding. I'm going to tell them that there's a tsunami on the way. And there will be those that will listen, but there will be those that will not. And when all is said and done, those who listened will be saved and those who didn't will not be. And and so, Jesus came and showed us the way. But he didn't stop there. He actually took our place when he was hung on a cross he took your sin my sin upon his shoulders and he paid a penalty and a judgment that you and I would never be able to pay we couldn't have done it because we were not that righteous and so he did that for us and based upon our belief in that Based upon our belief and our faith that God did what he did for us and he rose again from the dead three days later, I am justified. I am, sa- I am saved by Christ. I am saved through God, through Jesus Christ. I am saved to go to eternal heaven because of what God has done for me. Now, here's the thing. It's foolishness to the world. They're thinking, wait a minute. The wor- Come on, you really believe that? Do you also believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? That's what Paul says. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Verse 18 of of 1 Corinthians 1. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He quotes Isaiah. He says... Paul says, here's what the Lord said. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Let me just read a little bit more of this. It says, where is the wise, Paul says? Where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world For since since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached, the gospel, to save those who believe. For Jews request the sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, as Christians, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. The word stumbling block literally in the Greek is scandalon, where we get our term scandalous. To the Jews, it's scandalous that you would ever hint that God would ever become a, 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 a man subject to man and die at the hands of man. No way. God, My God would never do such a thing. The Jews, it's a stumbling block. Wait a minute. My God's powerful. My God doesn't need to do that. My God can overcome. Well, here's the thing. To the Jew, here's the thing. You will have to Bear your own responsibility. You'll have to bear your own sin before a holy God. And even to a Jew, they understand there is no justification in that. I can only be covered. You, you understand that in, in Israel they have the day of, of atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. It's a day of, of atonement. Atonement literally means covering. It covers your sin. Let's pretend for a moment that I take this white piece of paper and I spill a little bit of my coffee on this this white piece of paper. Well, there's a stain on this white piece of paper, and as I have a stain on that, that would resum- or that would represent our sin. To have your sin atoned for would be to take a blank piece of paper God would take the blank piece of paper and the atonement would be I'm going to cover the stain to where it looks white but the stain remains that's atonement atonement is covering a stain the stain is still there the testament atonement is this you're washed clean though your sins were as scarlet yet they shall be white as snow Yet you shall be white as snow. You will be right before God. I will cleanse you. As far as east is from the west, so far will I cast your sins from you. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ, he takes away our sin. He doesn't just cover him. He takes away our sin. And so to a Jew, it's a stumbling block that God would ever relegate himself down into the form of a man. In fact, if you go back into Psalm 22, it, it's really an interesting thing. Because what we see, as we've already talked about here today, that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus on the shoreline, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine the step down that God made to become a man? he stepped down from heaven God to become a man to become a lamb Psalm 22 says it's crying out a picture it's one of the most perfect pictures of the cross chapter 22 or Psalm 22 it's not chapter it's Psalm 22 it's a 22nd Psalm go home and look it up and you're going to go oh my goodness look at these are all the words that Jesus said on the cross that were written a few thousand, a couple thousand years before Jesus even lived. And yet here Jesus is on the cross saying those exact same statements. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, that's how Psalm 22 begins. Oh, well, Jesus just knew scripture. Well, yes, he did. But he was also God who knows all things, past, present, future, there's nothing known that could not be known by Christ himself, and so here's the thing. He says these statements that are in Psalm 22, but there's one thing he says in Psalm 22 that is it's captivating to me. He says, "I am a worm and no man." You want to know what was going through the mind of Christ as he was hanging on the cross? This is what he was thinking about on the cross. Go back and look in Psalm 22. He says, I am a worm and no man. The worm, and I don't have time to get too much into this, but it, the, the worm was a toloth worm. Toloth. A toloth worm was a worm that actually would go, and it was a worm that still exists, that will, to, to give birth to its kids, the toloth worm will go up. And it fix itself to a branch, and glue itself to a, a branch or a piece of wood. And the toloth worm would then fix itself, cocoon itself to that—not it, cocoon itself, but just fix itself, glue itself to this to this branch. And in the process of birthing its young, it would sacrifice its body and explode. And the the, the baby toloth worms would come and be produced from that. But this toloth worm that goes up there and fixes itself, when it explodes, it leaves a deep red stain. And I find that fascinating that Jesus likens himself to a toloth worm. For the stain on the cross birthed you and I. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that gave you and I life. I'm a worm and no man. God, He went from God to man to lamb to worm. You and I, for you and me. That's what He did. It's foolishness to the world. It might be foolish to you in here. And I pray that your eyes would open up before it's too late. We are living in the last seconds. And the world is looking at you and I as Christians and they're laughing. Are you more concerned with the world? Are you more concerned with what God thinks? His word, I'm just saying go back and look at the word of God. Don't take my word for it. You go and look it up yourself. You go back and look up 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. Chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. You try to come to any other conclusion than I have. Chapter 40 then goes and talks about the Temple Mount. Talks about how the Temple Mount, right now there's no temple on it. Guess what? There's no temple on the Temple Mount right now. Wait a minute. What's that big, you know, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? That's what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. If there's a temple up there. What's that big golden dome thing? That's a Muslim, that's a Muslim uh, dome up there. It's called the, the uh, Dome of the Rock where supposedly... Muhammad lifted off the face of the earth on a rock that was right there and just down to the, to the, uh, uh, to the uh, south of, of the Dome of the Rock just a hundred yards or so is the Mosque of Omar it's, a, it's the fourth most holy site to the Muslims but there's an area that is just cleared off on top of the Temple Mount been there myself been up there there's a little, tab, there's a little uh, gazebo that's up there. It means nothing to the Muslims. Jews are not allowed up there on the, the, the Temple Mount right now because that is what started back when Ariel Sharon, back, back in the 80s, 90s, when Ariel Sharon walked up to the Temple Mount, he walked up the steps and got up on top of the Temple Mount. It caused Yasser Arafat to call out this holy intifada and therein begins all of this suicide bombings and so on and so forth and all these clashes and they've been going on. been going on for a long time but they continue on right now. Right now their thing is is that they're going and they're, they're taking civilians and they're just walking up to Israeli soldiers and pulling out a knife and starting stabbing the soldiers until they are shot dead. Can you imagine living in Israel? That's what Tim and you are in right now. And yet... It's the weirdest saying as an American you feel very, very, very safe over there. I I can't explain it other than you just have to go there and experience it yourself. And here's the thing. Up there on that Temple Mount there's this big clearing area up there up on the top of the Temple Mount, up on the top of the hill, off to the north of the, the the Golden Dome right there, which is gold, by the way, off to the Jordan, paid millions of dollars in order for that to be domed in pure gold. But off to the, to the north of that, there's this big open expanse area that is all open, and there's nothing there except for this little gazebo, and the little gazebo is called the Dome of the Tablets and of the Spirits. I don't know what it means, but I think... That's kind of interesting. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. It was where man met God. The Ark of the Covenant. It's where the Day of Atonement, one day a year, a priest would go into the Holy of Holy places in the Temple Mount and go and offer a sacrifice of the Lamb and pour it upon the, uh, pour upon the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement not only for himself but also for the people that he represented there in Israel. Well, there's a little area up there that is still up on top of the Temple Mount. Now, here's the thing. Ezekiel 40 and 41 talk about... Ezekiel, go out there. I know it's... 2580 years in the future. But I want you to go out there and I want you to measure the Temple Mount. And as you measure this Temple Mount, measure this part off and give it to the Gentiles, give it to the Muslims. And you know, you can go up to the top of that Temple Mount and you can measure this off. And the Dome of the Rock would be on the outside of that that outer wall. Look it up, man. This is scripture written 25, 2,800 years ago or 2,580 years ago, I'm sorry 2,580 years ago yeah, I mean that's just coincidence really? do you really think that it's coincidence? I'm telling you as pastors are telling you from all over the nation, all over the world the water's receding and you're on the beach and a tsunami is coming and if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you will be caught up in the wave and you will die in your sin. And I say, come on, guys. I, I finished with this. God handpicked. You've heard me say this so many times, but to me it has always meant so much to me. It has always had such an impact in my life that if God could, if we could figuratively in our minds, picture this, that God... From Adam all the way down that way until the last person that will ever live upon the face of the earth. He put them all in this infinite, not infinite line, because there's a finite number of people that have ever lived upon the face of the earth. Here's the thing. All the way down there is Adam. You can't see him because he's so far away. And then you, shoulder to shoulder, it goes all the way down to the last person that will ever live upon the face of the earth. God went and he handpicked Adam. Adam, Eve, I want you to be here in the beginning. Moses, I'm going to have you. He handpicked Moses for a time of the law. Abraham, I'm going to have you there because there's where faith is going to begin. Where you believe in me and I'll account it unto you for righteousness. Moses, yeah, and then I'll, I'll bring you in. Then I'll bring in a king. Here's David. And he goes on and he gets to the disciples. He gets to some fishermen who just are normal people. He goes, you know what, I know that people just think you're just a fisherman, but you know what, I'm going to use you to radically transform this world, I'm going to use you guys to turn this world upside down. And so he grabs a few fishermen, tax collector, takes a, 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 a Sadducee, or not a Sadducee, but a, but a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, a Pharisee, and Paul makes him an apostle. He handpicks Paul. You're going to represent me in this time period because that time period, it is so important for you to understand. In fact, in December 6th of 2015, Don Haskins is going to be preaching your letter that you wrote to Corinthians, the second letter you wrote to Corinthians. There, I'm having you do that because that is going to play a role in my plan. And he just continued to pick these men and women upon the face of the earth as he, as he just went down through the ages. But here's the thing, and here's what means so much to me and hopefully means much to you. And here's the thing. When his finger came to you, if we truly are living in the last days, I believe that when his finger came to you, he picked you and said, I want you to represent me in the last days. And so those of you who sit there and go, well, if I was in the Garden of Eden, I wouldn't have done that. If I was one of the disciples, I wouldn't have, you know, said, well, can I sit at one of your right hand or your left hand? What a stupid thing those guys were talking about. Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and wipe out all Samaria? Yeah, try it. See how far you get with that, James and John. You know, we sit there and we look back and we... we, we we, we look at some of these old stories that we see in Scripture and we go, What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Abraham, you lied that Sarah was your wife. What were you thinking? What are you thinking? David, why did you stay in instead of going out to war and, and, and commit adultery with somebody that wasn't even your wife? It was one of your best soldiers. You had him killed. David, what were you thinking? and you go on and you go down through the years and you can go and we can point accusatory fingers at people that God has handpicked to represent Him in those days and many failures, of course. But when His hand came to you and His hand came to me, He handpicked you, He handpicked me to represent Him in these days. And if these are the last days, you are the last generation. If this is the last days, this is, and it it seems pretty convincing When you see the nations that I've explained here today, we see scripture, we hear heads of state saying Ezekiel 37 is fulfilled, we see Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we have the same exact nations that Ezekiel 38 and 39 says, assembled in northern Israel. And we see that there's no temple on the Temple Mountain that Ezekiel 40 through 41 talk about, hey, separate the outer court, then I'm going to allow you to rebuild the temple up there. And we look at these things and we consider these things and we go, well, in history, if we look at the Bible literally and we look at it, what it says, we're, we actually are living pretty close to the end times. If that's the case, he handpicked you. When people read your story, well, they go, what was he thinking? What was she thinking? What are you thinking? my friend Bob Davis he wrote me today we write each other every week just to encourage each other he's a pastor of a church in Idaho he's got like 5,000 people in his church and we I almost have that much in mind Um, he, uh, he wrote me this week he's one of my best friends he wrote this how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news go for it my friend the Lord himself is with you here's the thing we're living in these days where it's beautiful if we go and we share the gospel and we're not cowering back because we're thinking that the world is going to mock us I don't care what the world says the world didn't die for me the world didn't die for you. The world is not going to stand for you. It will not die for you. It will not care about you when you're gone. The world cares nothing about you. Why would you live for it? What's holding you back? God's finger came to you in this day. Will you be a herald? Will you be a Tilly Smith? Standing in the ocean. You've, you've now heard the lesson of Andrew Kearney. His name's Pastor Don there's warnings guys we're living in the last times we gotta get out there we gotta share this stuff I don't care if people mock you I don't care if people call you foolish the wisdom of this world is foolish message of the cross is foolishness but only to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God engage man get in the game and let's make a difference in our life. Amen? Father, thank you so much. I I pray, God, that this message will have resonated with every one of us in this room. Lord, I don't know if anybody came to know you today. I don't know. The Lord, it sure would be nice to know if they did. But you know what? It doesn't matter if I know. All it matters is you. I pray, God, that you've touched someone's heart in this room. I pray that, God, that they, you know, there might be a majority of the room sitting here going, okay, good, message is over. I can go about my day. But maybe there's one person in here that said, hey, you know what? That was like a stinking wake-up call to me. I just got slapped in the face today with a challenge to know that I, I'm on call right now. I'm in the game. God told me to get in the game and I'm sitting out. What am I doing? What am I doing? I'm worried about what the other team is saying. I'm worried about what the other, what the stands are crying down on me and shouting out at me to not do and they're laughing at me or they're doing and I'm afraid of what they're saying. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to take the ball and I want to run with it because that's what God's called me to do. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to walk and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in His strength not in my strength, but I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to let me dictate whether or not I speak on behalf of the Lord from this day forward because it's not about me anymore. If, God, you handpick me and these are truly the last seconds, then, Lord, let my life matter. If that's you today, don't forget what God has done in your heart right now don't walk out of this building and leave what God is doing in your heart right here go out in the power the spirit of Jesus in love it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance go out and show the world the kindness of Jesus the love of God that he has for us but let us go out with the good news And sometimes that means that we have to share with them the bad news. But the good news is that nobody has to go to hell. Nobody has to die from this soon coming tsunami of judgment that's coming down upon this world. Help me, Lord, personally, to be a herald for you in these days. Help us in this room, Lord, to rise above and be like the small army of Gideon. It seems impossible to have such a small army go out and take out a vast army. And yet, Lord, you did in the the size of Gideon's army. 300. Went out and destroyed. I can't remember how many thousands they killed. Help us, Lord, to go out there into this world, though we may be few. We totally overpower them because, Lord, you are on our side. And there's nothing greater than you. Nothing is impossible for you. There's nothing too great for you. And so Lord, take us from this place today knowing that you have given us a voice and you've given us a purpose and you've given us a call and you said go into the world and preach the good news. Baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But remember this, I am with you, lo, always, even to the end of the age. Amen and amen and amen, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.